you like TikTok can just play in the most random way possible for any talent you take, you pick. Uh, I call it unpredictable marketing. It's it's not about like post-Soviet nostalgia. It's more about how no borders world is coming for all of us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to How Music Charts, the podcast where we explore the dance between interpreting data and making creative decisions in the music business every day. I'm your co-host, Rutger, and you'll hear from our other co-host, Jason, very soon. This podcast is owned and operated by Chartmetric, a music data company that connects numbers to narratives to help professionals leverage the power of music. Remember, any opinions or views expressed by our guests or the co-hosts on this podcast are theirs alone, and do not in any way constitute the opinions or views of any company they work for. To preserve a tone of earnest dialogue and protect our guests, We will refrain from using names of any kind, personal, company, or otherwise, unless our guests have granted us explicit permission to do so. In our previous episode of How Music Charts, we chatted with Moscow-based concert promoter and talent agent Sophie Chivanova about the Russian music industry and the state of live music in Asia and Europe during COVID-19. In this episode, we finish our conversation with Sophie, covering everything from BTS to Fortnite and the future of concerts. So, without further ado, please welcome back to the How Music Charts podcast, Sophie Chivanova. So in June of this year, uh, K-pop megagroup BTS, of course, they held their live stream concert event slash, I don't know what else to call it, but it was like a big BTS bonanza called Bang Bang Con, where apparently they made... Uh, $20 million USD in revenue and drew in 756,000 viewers in virtual attendance at about $26 to $35 USD per person. So obviously top tier talent like BTS can pull off such an event. But how did you initially react to that? I wish I'd been big hit entertainment company, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, uh, I mean, Jason is great. We are witnessing a subgenre, something used to be called small and very niche, right? To become massive and mainstream. Like look at Billboard, top 10 now. It's uh, it's Dynamite by BTS for like three weeks, something like that. It never happened before, right? For, for Korean pop music. And uh, have you heard about Big Hit like facing IPO soon? Yes, yes we have. Uh, yeah, I mean, I read these crazy news about ARMY, like fans, right? Fandom. Um, taking loans from banks uh, to actually buy stocks. I mean, I never wow. heard of this financial like structure happening in the world ever before. Um, I mean, this is super crazy. And other than BTS, I guess, uh, SM Entertainment, another huge company uh, based in Korea, Korea, America, those groups are doing insanely well, like TVXQ, Super Junior, NCT, um, and many more super am those fandoms are no joke like in terms of size definitely real power and i mean if streaming would be available back in the days imagine how huge like 1d numbers would be like one direction streaming you just imagine oh backstreet boys or take that um any of those like top tier bands and I, I, I tend to think a lot about the size of the genre nowadays, because um, obviously some BTS fans weren't interested or were not able to attend this online show. I, I kind of have these 
like in my mind, but what's the real size of the fandom? That's the most important question that we are thinking, right? Of the ticketed fandom, like those people who are not only um, listening to like Dynamite or two more songs by BTS, but a real like um, diehard fans. Um, I'm not sure about that for now, but definitely like 20 mil USD in revenue. That's a huge accomplishment. Um, if you think about live touring by the guys, definitely the sellout st stadiums. As I remember, they did like seven stadiums last year, uh, seven dates or eight dates in Europe. Um, Wembley, 80K capacity, two nights. Stade de France, Perry, uh, 80K capacity each night. But then I keep thinking about Ed Sheeran and Eminem, you know. Uh, Ed Sheeran, he, he goes like wherever and, and, and he gets like 30K, 40K. And, and, and you've never even heard the name of that city, right? Probably he can go to a town, to a village, and and just like gather all the all the people out there. Uh, definitely, K-pop is still not there, um, but that's still interesting. And and if we're talking about other um, K-pop bands um, uh, doing live streaming concerts now, these events definitely ticket sales um, differ from act to act, but surprisingly. And again, like hopefully these numbers gonna grow. Um, many names are doing pretty okay. I mean, it's not about breaking like the records, right? It's not about like, oh, we sold 100K tickets uh, or 800K tickets. It's about gathering those fandoms in these tough situation. Yeah, and hopefully everyone's gonna be doing well. I, I had a nice chat with uh, Dice, you know, these uh, London-based uh, ticketing company um super super ticketing app and they are uh they've launched uh dice 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 fm uh, like tv streaming stuff like that and they uh exclusively ran nick cave ticketing and louis capaldi ticketing cases and those numbers were impressive as well like super impressive and you know one was uh nick cave played um alexander palace i guess ali pally like all empty, a 10K capacity venue, all empty and just Nick Cave on his piano. Um, that was one type of a huge event, right? And Louis Capaldi, he was playing um, from his bedroom, like a very intimate, surrounding, like super nice show. I bought a ticket. Louis Capaldi, watch me. I bought a ticket. Never asked for a free one. <laughs> yeah, I was super happy. It happened like three months ago, something like that. So there are cases like more successful, a little bit less successful, but yeah, everything's happening well. Right. So another event that's been kind of grabbing headlines lately is Fortnite, of course. So doubling down on success of Marshma Marshmallow and Travis Scott virtual concerts on the, the huge gaming platform. And then recently adding Dominic Fike and Anderson Pock to their list of artists and them also building out as a socially distanced stage as a real tour stop, quote unquote, as, as they said in, in some of the articles I've read for artists that were moving through Los Angeles because that's where this stage is located. Does this appear to be kind of like a very just super, you know, neat gesture and kind of happening to make, you know, news headlines, uh, you know, from this huge gaming platform? Or does this seem to be maybe some kind of new model that an artist could conceivably start to incorporate, you know, especially now in this day and age, having like a virtual kind of tour stop where it can be kind of live streamed out? So basically, I've been a, you know, a huge cyberpunk 
fan since childhood, you know, like William Gibson and, and, and those authors. And I've been dreaming about this stuff to start happening for years. Like something that crazy, like in the books that I've been reading. Mm-hmm. And right now it's definitely, um, I'd say, not to offend anyone, it's definitely nowhere near a real concert experience. Definitely. Uh, but it's fun. It's innovative. It's crazy interesting thing. But still, I mean, I love Dom Fike, Dominic Fike, his music, hope to host a few of his shows, like in Europe or in, in Russia, when these all ends. And I was the one to download Fortnite just to check out that concert. <laughs> First, I'm interested how those shows are happening there. Secondly, I'm, I'm, I'm his fan. So it was fun. It's cool. But... You know, it, it kind of reminded me, it, it made me super sad at the first like glance because I felt so lonely. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like drinking with people using Zoom, you know. <laughs> it's, it's an experience, you call it experience. It's an option, but it's not to be called a substitution for a live show, definitely. But there's an important thing VR gadgets, right? We do not know where they're going to get us like in five years, something like that. Maybe in five years, I'm going to be listening to these podcasts and thinking, oh, Sophie, like that was the start, the, the, the start. And um, what is important uh, to mention, some of these online game players haven't experienced live music in their lives yet, I think, ever. Like those 10 years old, 12 years old, up to 15 years old, probably they have never got their concert experiences. So that potentially can attract them to shows, which is like super important, I feel, for the live music industry, definitely for artists. And um, yeah, we're going to see what's going to happen with that. And another case, I I guess you probably read about it, uh, maybe not. So uh, again, Fortnite, I think they, um, they promised to uh, to have BTS there uh, performing the second version of their dynamite dance, like yeah. choreography. Yeah. So just imagine, guys, just imagine how many girls, fans got to download Fortnite just to see that happening and then just deleting the app. <laughs> or maybe like, you know, it's, maybe it's not. like... Maybe not. Maybe 20, 20% of them or like 50% going to stay and going to play Fortnite. It's, it's, it's a cool experience, like definitely a cool experience. And, and it's playing with, uh, you know, genders in gaming, like how many women are involved in gaming, like more and more. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. It's super fun. Yeah, we, we actually looked at some of the stats recently, and I think the Fortnite crowd is about 10 to 25 years old and then skews about 75 to 80% male. Whereas uh, the BTS fandom, um, at least according to, I think it's TikTok, YouTube, and and their Instagram, was about the same, but female. (laughs) At least for for genders. Watch them coming. So so what's interesting is like, if they're looking for new markets or segments, for sure, it it totally makes sense. So just totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then, so one last thing when it comes to kind of live streaming, and you, you briefly touched on it a few minutes ago. So you talked about trying to like measure or size, you know, a true fan base, you know, like a ticketed fan base. This seems like 
not an incorrect statement, but part of me thinks like, you know, does live streaming like a ticketed live streaming event? Is that in a way a truer measure of an axe, you know, global fan base that is willing to buy a ticket because, you know, geography is now removed from the equation. You know, it's no longer, it's like, I, I don't have to travel anywhere for it. Um, or does that introduce kind of like a different dynamic? You know, how, in what ways does that make sense to you or, or maybe not make any kind of sense to you at all, that kind of idea? I guess it's, um, it's super tricky to, uh, to actually operate these kind of data because as, as you said, if, if we, let's say, if we take a case of like any act, just let's imagine like an act selling 10,000 tickets for an online show, right? And if we take a look at those customers, the cities they are based in, and if we just only operate that data and, and send that artist on tour using that data only, we might be facing like numbers, like 50 people in Cologne and um, 250 people in Moscow and then 1,000 people in London, um, stuff like that, and that's it. Most likely that's wrong. Most likely that's not the case because we are talking about these way smaller number of people checking online events, definitely. So we can operate the data from, from, from these information, the data that shows us maybe uh, trending cities, trending territories, so that makes us to think about some particular countries and then uh, particular cities in those countries, where to go. But definitely, I'm not sure if it can show us a size of a fandom of, 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 of that act that we are imagining uh, sold like 10K tickets. I'd say that there is definitely, a, again, a coefficient um, to kind of multiply and, and see what is really happening. If we are talking about BTS, let's say, this Bang Bang Con, mm -hmm. if you imagine the, 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 whole, um, the whole fandom being um, a few million, right? Uh, 756K, uh, or let, let, let's go to 800K, uh, people uh, bought tickets. But um, is, it, is it the whole number of concert goers in those cities, like major concert cities, or is it gonna be two times smaller? Is it gonna be three times bigger? That is, again, like that is data blend with gut feeling, definitely, obviously, and promoters experience and the economical situation in each taken uh, country. You need to, to just like take a deeper look in so many more factors to kind of analyze what is really happening with these numbers. Yeah. yeah. I better think of live streaming as just pretty much like a separate in product entirely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Seems to make more it, sense. It, it, it makes more sense, right. So let's talk about the future a little bit. From your perspective, where is the live sector right now, now that we're like six months into the pandemic? Like which, which kinds of companies in the live sector fell away and which kinds were able to adapt and survive? Good question. Sad question, actually, for all the territories that I can imagine, for all the countries. So, again, live music. What is it in terms of um, um, 
in terms of um, companies. This is promoter, obviously prom promoting companies, promoters and production companies. So production companies everywhere in the world, like Red Alarm, attention, attention, companies are dying. I'm uh, talking to um, the UK companies because you like, we usually work with uh, the UK-based companies and German companies. And um, it's, it's, it's crazy bad. All these um, like high-qualified, super smart people, super dedicated people are losing their jobs because government in any given country, um, except maybe German uh, German situation. I'm not sure what is the current situation there, but as I've heard, they are getting a lot of uh, a lot of support from the government. But is the same for the U.S., for the U.K., for Russia, for many more European countries, and for Asian countries. Definitely, um, it's like it's super tough to make it. So production companies danger. If there is no production companies left, no show is going to happen at all. Like nothing we, we will be talking about in like six months because um, when engineers are gone, like those those people who dedicated lives to studying lighting, sound, acoustics, um, safety, that's that's crazy. Like like thousands of people going to be going to be out of their jobs. Promoters. Um, it's interesting. Big names definitely going to survive. But. Um, it's tough because when you need to reschedule without without any clear idea uh, on when your postponed dates are safe, that's crazy. And that makes even more costs. And bigger shows, more costs. And no revenue. That means it. And small companies, those who had to reschedule a lot of shows, suffer the most. But luckily, those companies which which, which had not that many shows at least don't have any debts. So, so you can you can easily withdraw yourself from these entertainment business and probably do something else when you don't have shows. Mid-sized promoters definitely struggling, like definitely struggling. And uh, what is good in in Europe, there is a bright side. We are uh, constantly eyeing what is happening with these UK-centered um, campaign. We make events and let the music play because. Um, uh, the UK uh, music industry, production industry is so huge, and it's um, it's like a house to to thousands of people working in this industry, super professionals, and they are uh, constantly reaching out to the government, uh, asking to to definitely either support the industry or start giving any clear signs on when the industry can come back with uh, safety measures, definitely, like health safety uh, stuff done. And in South Korea, let's say, uh, not only promoters, but also label, uh, label and management companies are at big risk because there aren't enough events happening, not at all, and no overseas um, events. It's, it's only streaming, basically. It's streaming and like some new releases Mm, online fan signs they are pretty creative actually right now because they are doing these fan signs but online fan signs and and it's kind of huge lottery so fans keep buying cds to actually win a a chance to participate in these online fan sign which let's say can can only hold like 100 people or something like that so that's like vip meet and greet but online 
And it's kind of one of pretty unique sources for South Korean companies right now for South Korean uh, artists. And again, for European artists, for American artists, for Russian artists, uh, online shows, that's it. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is how we survive right now. And what about from, given all that, what about from the artist's perspective? What kinds, what kinds of ways have artists employed to survive with little to no revenue coming in? It's attention, attention, red alarm sign again. I'm pretty sure. If we are talking about the bigger, bigger acts, bigger artists who can actually survive for a year or two, would it be based on royalties? Would it be based on their, you know, just like uh, some uh, safety, um, uh, some, some, some money, right? Like that they have saved. Um, if we are talking about smaller artists and smaller crews, all those crews need to be paid. So salaries, um, mostly uh, being paid from festival money and, and then like uh, live touring money. That is impossible right now. So it, it's like, you know, a chain reaction. When an artist loses a crew, that basically leads us to a worse show or no show at all. Because again, like an artist, just a band, um, like would it be capable? Band, would it be just a rock band? You, you name it. They cannot cannot perform without a crew. Right now, it's only online shows with ticketing, right, and royalties, and nothing much is happening. So in Russia and Europe, only only smallest bars or some like super small roof parties happening. But you can imagine that that's not that's not enough to. To, to pay those all those people who need to leave off the music. Well, it's a bleak a bleak note to to end on. Is there any hope um, into the future? I mean, I I don't want to <laughs> sound that you know dark and grim actually, because because I do a little bit. I mean, honestly, being optimistic, I feel that our um, kind of because we've been locked for a few months time became something really, really, really not flexible. It's just, it, it lasts forever. So what you think was like a year worth, it was only a month. So right now, starting from March, let's say it's like seven months, right? We are kind of locked without shows. But um, if we are checking the news right now, they are saying about the vaccine coming. So that's going to give us that's going to give us a chance of coming back to, to, to normal life. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I'm pretty optimistic about these, all these initiatives with um, unions, with uh, production companies, with uh, artist management majors, management companies, major labels, um, going to government people, to authorities and asking for some measures and some support. I mean, all together, I think, like maybe next coming two months, we're going to know way more about the situation and probably we're going to have a bigger, bigger, bigger chance of improvement. And probably we're going to hear about more tours being scheduled. Um, yeah, finally, something like that. So can you tell us about your new company that you're currently building? Oh, actually, yeah, definitely. It's, um, um, it's, Kind of, I'm thinking about the same stuff that I've been doing. Um, so one direction is going to be festivals, 
um, probably European-based festivals, maybe launching new um, new festivals with. Um, mm, I'm thinking about uh, again, like K-pop artists uh, coming and um, um, making those lineups with uh, foreign artists. So mixing and blending music genres, like hip hop and rap artists. Uh, performing on stage with uh, with those uh, with those like huge or or up up and coming artists uh, from South Korea or China or you name it, right? Because again, um, the cultural um, the, the the blend should be deeper. People should be understanding more about uh, about these subgenres becoming not that niche. Like BTS is showing their direction. Uh, Blackpink is showing their direction. And obviously, there are lineups coming, which gonna be not that kind of, you know, one view only, one sided. That's not gonna be only K-pop festivals or uh, only um, like hip hop festivals, something like that. We need to 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 blend it. Yeah, we are talking with a, with a few countries uh, about uh, these possibilities. Maybe in 2022, we don't know about 2021 yet. Uh, and then definitely, yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be just continuing doing what what I've been doing with um, with my uh, promoter's job. I just gonna stay in the same industry, and I just gonna try to build a little bit more westernized way of touring for Korean artists, for Chinese artists, for um, any artist. Yeah, I, I I would love to to work with as many. Um, Asian artists as possible in Europe, in America, in um, in other countries where I have partners or where I have presence, and definitely that's gonna build a better future for those genres, I guess. Yeah, and fans, obviously fans. <laughs> All right, Sophie. So now it's time to get your quick take analysis on some recent music industry headlines and trends. We say try to keep it short, but you know, if you have something awesome to say, then say it. Okay, okay, sure. All right, so the first one is from Billboard and the headline is, um, the talent ate good for years. Promoters to shift more risk onto artists when concerts return. And basically the gist is that deals will be less guarantee focused and more like percentage of ticket sales focused. So essentially artists will have less stability once live music comes back. I feel like live music industry is already uh, tough enough for all the sides uh, participating in this, like artist side, management side, and promoter side, and fan side. Mm, and label side. I mean, honestly, I do not think that um, any massive like shift going to happen. It's just right now in these pandemic situation, everyone's being super nice to each other and everyone's being super collaborative. So definitely, probably there's going to be more flexibility in uh, talks with major acts um, in um, those like big bats that we are thinking about probably that's going to help a little bit um but i wouldn't say that it's gonna it's gonna change drastically in one year or like six months something like that so this next one uh this headline's coming from uh the nashville briefing newsletter so this is a pollstar survey which you've probably seen sophie of concert professionals that they find just over half 
expect live music to be back at full capacity by the end of 2021. 30% say that the comeback won't happen until 2022. So I'm looking at the little chart here that of the survey that they had. And so 2% thought that it'll come back to full capacity by the first quarter of 2021. 16% think by the second quarter. 24% by the third. 11% by the fourth quarter. And then 30%, as we said, not until um, 2022. And then I thought, funny enough, 14% said, I have no idea. So, <laughs> so just kind of curious if, if you had to put your vote in, which, which, which time period would you say? And then what's, what are your kind of reflections on the, the kind of answers overall? I've just participated in this um, uh, um, amazing, interesting conference held by Ticketmaster. Um, and they've been talking about the same stuff. Uh, so they created three profiles of concert goers, and the profile first is um, people who are going to return once all the restrictions lifted. So that's like younger audience, um, usually um, as per voting. And then the second profile, profile number two, is uh, like four to seven months uh, after all the restrictions being off. And as we understand profile three, those are like the most pessimistic, scared people or like very, you know, health aware. And, and those gonna come back like um, one year after and more and probably two years after. Honestly, that's not super bright. That does not sound very bright. And uh, I guess I'd be the one person in those like 14% talking about I have no idea because everything can change drastically in like one month. Yeah. From now on, we would take one month and if the vaccine is suddenly working, I don't know, like Oxford people, smart people working on a vaccine. Russian guys are working on a vaccine. It is coming, by the way, in October, I guess. So like for free vaccination for doctors and for teachers, it's already out there. Um, I mean, who knows? Like maybe maybe you guys come with a with a vaccine like in one month <laughs> and everyone's saved, you know. Um, I mean we we're gonna see, we're gonna see. Some janners can sell tickets like in three months, some janners need one year or more to sell. Some shows are super huge and nothing can be planned in just like three months or six months. So definitely there's like, you know, kind of kind of difference. Um, we, which shows we are talking about, like which genres we're talking about. But the full recovery is definitely not coming in the first half or the second half of 2021, definitely. So this next headline is from Pitchfork, and it says, how Belarusian post-punks Molchat Doma became a TikTok meme. And basically the gist is um, that there was this TikTok trend of Soviet nostalgia, especially among like American teenagers. And it helped this post-punk post band, Molchat Doma, go viral. Hey, that's that's a cool question, actually. That's like a whole new thing to, to talk about. I guess it is a blend of uh, probably uh, fashion thing and also the... Um, the actuality of these genre, like post-punk. Um, you know, there are a few uh, fashion brands like Gosha Rybczynski, like um, Vetman style or something like that, um, that people are crazy about. And that is legit what 
like poor people used to wear in like late Soviet times, something like that. I mean, you never know where those trends are coming from, right? These band, um, the, the, the name is, um, it, it's meaning actually, it means the buildings are being silent. Like mm. the houses are being silent. I have no idea why. Yeah, for me, it became viral when I when I saw these uh, amazing video uh, with um, uh, like you know bats, like like these small like vampire creatures like dancing with these like goth music, <laughs> something like that. And this is how I I, I acknowledge the fact of uh, the fact of of these bands actually existence. Mm. Um, I feel like TikTok can just play in the most random way possible for any talent you take you pick you never know what's going to happen in there that's like brand new reality of marketing uh i call it unpredictable marketing so um it's it's not about like post-soviet nostalgia it's more about uh how how no borders world is coming for all of us it doesn't really matter russia soviet union i don't know like Chinese fashion trends or like Taiwanese music is coming. It's all going to be blended very mm. soon. Uh, so this one's coming from the Music Ally Bulletin. Uh, so Marvel goes K-pop with SM Entertainment and Super M collaboration. So this is an announcement that came from a Korean music company, SM Entertainment. Uh, the quote was, uh, the new initiative serves as a launch point between uh uh, SM Entertainment and Marvel to create future Super M and Marvel co-branded content, products, and live fan experiences spanning the SM portfolio. What are your thoughts on that one? I mean, you 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 say SM Entertainment, you think uh, many cool bands, right? But again, one of one of one of those kids from from Super M is from EXO, or even or even few members, I guess. Super talented ones. EXO is about superpowers. So as I do remember, in that band, each member has a superpower. So they are definitely kind of super people, right? And if we're talking about Super M, all those visuals, all those music videos, is about superpowers. So obviously, it's the most organic. Um, kind of collaboration you can imagine, right? So it was only a matter of uh, Marvel or DC, I guess. I mean, it's going to be more and more and more interesting. Fortnite hosting live concerts, um, superheroes, um, I don't know, like musicians uh, being in superheroes movies and all that kind of stuff. Um, Travis Scott with his uh, tracks being uh, the main soundtrack for new Christopher Nolan, right? It's it's all blending. It's all like, it's it's a boiling pot of ideas. Yeah. Obviously, it's natural and organic. Cool. And then the last one is um, from Music Business Worldwide, and it's stat of the week. Music piracy hasn't gone away. It's just changed shape. And it's basically about stream ripping site usage being up in in the UK. Um, but I've also heard about like pirated copies of Spotify or other streaming platforms popping up in countries where there is no Spotify. Um, I heard it from someone in an Eastern European country, actually. Um, so I not me, you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> if you had any insight into that, especially like, does how does that affect? Um, an artist's data like are those streams counted are they legit 
I think that um, actually, um, I think that actually that's not that massively happening in, let's say, CIS in Russia and, and, and Poland and Belarus, Ukraine. Um, I'm absolutely sure that if we're talking about pirated uh, music, it's still, you know, those old school uh, archives like Zip, um, like on some trackers, like just download it from there. But um, these kind of streaming, I'm not sure if it can be counted officially. And uh, I'm pretty sure that um, that might be sounding like something about VK.com because mm -hmm. VK.com has a huge pool of music. And this is how these uh, platform became social network, right? Social net and, and, and music pool and music videos pool became so huge in, in Russian speaking countries. But I'm pretty sure that right now there is a way to, to count those uh, streams and pay royalties to where it belongs. So I'm not sure how that affects artists, but what I'm sure about is um, people, like I'm happy to know that as many people um, are paying their money as possible because that makes the whole industry uh, surviving. I'm super sure there are countries, there are markets where people cannot afford themselves uh, to pay like 10 bucks per month or something like that. But I'm still sure that even in these kind of horrible way if these one kid listens to 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 the music uh, he or she loves um without paying for it now i'm pretty sure in a few years life's gonna change and they're gonna be able to pay for it and they're gonna become those people who actually love art love music listen to it pay for it so probably we shouldn't be like you know super hard on them and just allow them probably to enjoy the art and pay a little bit later, encouraging them actually to 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 be payers for music. And then definitely for live music. Yeah, come to our shows. Great, I think that's all we have. Yeah, so thanks so much for chatting with us, Sophie. The second you start selling tickets for your K-pop meets Western Axe Festival, I'm there. I will buy a ticket myself. And, uh, oh, you definitely don't need to. We're going to be analyzing the ticket sales data together with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're going to be working on the data side of it and then just enjoying the uh, live events, uh, such as concerts, festivals, or you name it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, I, you know, we're glad that you did not go into banking with your computer science degree, and we're happy you're part of Live Music to help bring it back after coronavirus. I'm hella happy, you know. <laughs> So, Sophie, is there any way for people to contact you if they want to get in touch? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, like email is going to be all right or any other way of, uh, you know, uh, communication in this uh, brave new world. Um, yeah. So um, should I just should yeah. I just. Yeah. If you want to leave about... it, you can. If, if, if oh, yeah. Social media handle, something like that. Um, yeah, you can find me, you can find me on Facebook, I guess, as Sophie Chivanova or, and drop a line there or just using my, um, email, which is, uh, belova.sophia.gmail.com. Um, yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure I can leave these contacts in some written way, right? Yeah. Written form. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Actually, it's, uh, incredible to, to have a chat like, between, uh, Russia and the U.S., um, yeah, and see that the things are really, really same, I guess, in our countries. And we are just looking for the light to come in. 
and the pandemic to, to be over and people be healthy and happy again. And for the industry to survive, not only our industry, but also many other industries, definitely. And thanks to all those health workers and those people who keep being brave and optimistic. Well said. Thanks, Sophie. Yeah, thank thank you. you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you a lot. Bye-bye, guys. How Music Charts is written and produced by Jason Hoven and Rutger Rosenborg of Chartmetric. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and article links and show notes are at podcast.chartmetric.com. If you want more insights delivered to your inbox when we publish, subscribe to our blog at blog.chartmetric.com. As always, feel free to say hi to us on our socials as well. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.